We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I know everyone's going to be anxious to ask questions about Josh. Uh, certainly respect you guys. I'll have a job to do. Um, so I'll give you what I've got on Josh is uh, uh, he's day-to-day. And the next question will be, is he going to play? And the answer is, we'll see. Um, so based on the medical report that, that we have, uh, Josh is day-to-day. Um, and uh, in terms of other injuries, Tremaine Edmonds will not practice today. Nor will uh, Jordan Poyer. Both are day-to-day. Greg Rousseau, as I said the other day, uh, will also not practice. He remains week-to-week. Uh, and then Trey White, also another another one I know you guys will ask about his status. He is day-to-day. And whether he'll play or not this week is the same in terms of uh, we'll see. So we'll see how his week goes. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. Just ask that you respect uh, the situation around Josh and the job that I have to do as well. I appreciate that. And Welcome everybody to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's our producer, Chris Krueger, and that. <laughs> we talk about Sean McDermott being walking ambient. That might have been his, his masterpiece, his masterwork right there. That was Sean McDermott from his press conference today at noon over at buffalobills.com talking about the injury to Josh Allen. That was like he brought the I don't know what word what word I'm looking for the the confidence in in the way of like somebody's challenging him to a fight <laughs> like that he's going to win. It was it, to me it was similar of when Jim Fossil uh called out that they were going to the Super Bowl. Similar to that type of press conference. For me, it felt more like because obviously everyone's been waiting on you know pins and needles. 
Yeah, yeah. We need to hear what's going on with Josh Allen. Obviously, the people whose jobs depend on making copy and printing words and getting clicks and traffic have been drumming up questions for days waiting for this moment. And it's like he came out and just threw a bucket of cold water on top of everybody right out of the gate. Hey, guys, I know he's like, I and I like how he threw in. I respect what you do. Hey, I respect what you guys do. for. No, you don't. No, you know, he does <laughs> that, Chris, that's when I come in. That, that's like when you start a statement with with all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, whatever the person is about to say is absolutely disrespectful. When he comes out and basically just tells you, this is all I'm ever. This is all I'm going to say. This is your one soundbite. Feel free to ask about it, but I ain't giving you shit. It's hilarious to me that that's how this went. Guys, we are here to to take a look around the AFC East in week nine. Yeah, We're going to have banged up bills. Dr. Kyle Trimble, he's going to be joining us to talk about this press conference and about the context of it and about Josh Allen's injury, among a whole slew of topics. But the theme of tonight's show is we take a look around the division itself. You want to talk about a division in the NFL that's constantly cannibalizing itself with offenses that are cranking out points, high scoring affairs, four teams all positioning themselves to be in the playoff picture. Three months ago, you would have sworn that I was talking about the AFC West. And yet here we are. What is this? Uh, November 9th? Yep. Week of our year of our Lord, 2022. And it's the AFC East that suddenly looks like not only the strongest top-to-bottom division in football, but also the one that seems to be doing the most damage to each other compared to what outsiders are doing in the NFL playoff race. It's incredible. And we kick things off the way we always do because it never seems to change with the Patriots at the bottom of the AFC East, but with a five-win record (laughs) and fresh off a drubbing of the hilarious Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, Christian, how does it feel to uh, bring on Jeff Saturday, be the cause of that? You did this. You know that this is the Patriots' fault, right? Yeah, it's just, just another coach in a long line of coaches and organizations that build just completely sort of grinded down to the nub. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm really uh, curious to see if uh, Jeff Saturday hires Dan Olofsky, who openly, uh, you know, basically uh, said, hey, I can be an offensive coordinator. So uh, I'm curious to see that whole train wreck. Is uh, that is their team now just like a bastion for ESPN reporters? Like, is that it? Like, they're going to bring in Rex Ryan to coach the defense. Uh, they'll bring in Ryan <laughs> Clark to replace Chris Ballard as the GM. And next thing you know, they'll just <laughs> – like, what are we talking about here? They might as well at this point. Uh, it looks like they're in clear tank mode, so yeah. hey. Oh, whoa, whoa, don't say that to Ursay. He'll he'll oh, he'll come out of his yeah. uh, he'll come out of one of his pill comas to yell at you. Um, well, wait, you do know that, that they've oh. been in the upper quartile of the upper quartile of the quartile of wins over the past fifteen years. I don't know if you saw that quote. I'm not a mathematician. Where, I'm not. I'm no <laughs> mathematician, but I don't think that man knows what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so, Christian, it's interesting because you actually were. My muse, you were the kind of like the way this conversation is structured tonight with all of our guests. You were the impetus of that. 
So pat yourself on the back. You were my inspiration because you're right. You know, you and I were texting back and forth about this before we, you know, as I'm you know, kind of inviting you on the show for the week. And you, yep. you hit the nail on the head that the AFC East is what we thought the AFC West was going to be. And so in that, like you take a look at which one of the teams do you think that the Patriots most like closely represent or cl- most closely mirror in the AFC West? Oh, well, the Raiders, because they're the worst one. <laughs> I was going to so ask. So it's obviously, it's obviously Josh and the Raiders, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the, who, in the, who in the division is going to stand at midfield with his arms out like uh, he's in Shawshank Redemption spinning around <laughs> like he's God? <laughs> Russell Wilson? Yeah. Wilson, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you who it won't be. Is jo- I'll tell you who it won't be is Josh Allen. That's for damn sure. Nope. That that uh, super troopers mustache he's got on, I can't see him acting ridiculous like that. So we're looking at the Colts. You guys get your fifth win. Here's the hilarious thing, Christian. When you you look at your record, and um, we're gonna kind of run this down with all of our guests tonight. You're a five and four team, and in the division you're one and one, and yet you're in the basement. Even though the the team at the top of the division hasn't won a division game yet. They're 0-2. That's how competitive the AFC East has become compared to all of these other divisions. I mean, look around just the AFC East for a second. There's a team, the Steelers, who are 2-6, right? They're 2-6. They're in last place. The mm-hmm. second-place team in the AFC North is the 5-4 and four Bengals who have no division wins. You at least have one up on them, <laughs> and yet you guys are in the basement of this division. And, and at the same time, because of the playoff structure, because with the with the expanded thing, mm-hmm. Chris, as we look around this, if these teams like the Bengals continue to have struggles, if teams like the Browns can't get it together, if the Colts continue their slow descent into hell, and the Jaguars just stay as mediocre as they are, the Colts are already in hell. There's mm-hmm. a real possibility that three teams from the AFC East could make the playoffs. Like it's a very real possibility. Three of them are already at six wins. One of them, it's one of them's at five. W- what do you think about that, Christian? The concept that you guys are literally a win or two away from being in that conversation of like, hey, are we one of the three? Um, I think that there's two terrible spots to be in in sports when you follow a team. The first one is that your record really isn't doesn't reflect what you are, and they suck. So five and four is just nothing but a mirage. <laughs> and the second and the second position that stinks to be in is that you just wait for all the other teams around you to screw up so you can hobble into the playoffs. Um, you just want to make that's, it. That's you're like, kind of where I am. You're like, listen, <laughs> we've we got a taste of it last year. We don't want to oh, give yeah. this up because once you stop making the playoffs, trust me, it it could take a while. It could take a while. So I'm looking at this game you guys just had against the Colts, and it's crazy because beating them 26 to three. To your point, when you when you say they suck, I want to try to give some context to that, and I want to hear just what Patriots fans are saying about it because nine field goals in the last two games. Like you see 26 to three, you're assuming, oh man, they just got their defense. Obviously, did the did the yeoman's work here, but on offense, they must have just you know they, they must have really moved the football well. You guys had seven offensive drives that generated fewer than 20 yards and ended in a punt. <laughs> like that's that's crazy. 
That's, you held the Colts to zero third down conversions. So obviously that's a plus. Like that side of the football did everything that was asked of it, playing a first-time quarterback in the NFL on a bad team. That, mm-hmm. that was basically like they didn't throw in the towel, but they might as well have. But that, like, just field goals. Field goals are the only thing that seem to pace your offense. Nick Folk is having a career year because he gets so many opportunities. Just 133 net passing yards. You go six of 17 on third. The fact that you got 17, like, that's how often they punted. You guys got 17 cracks at converting a third down, and you only got six of them. A pair of fumbles, and you lose one of them. I don't know. What is it that's pacing the struggles of your offense? It's really Mac. Um, and I, 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 I've been through the offensive coordinator at nauseum. I've been through the offensive line at nauseum. I've been through the wide receivers not being good enough, but they're good. And the tight ends not being involved. Mac has regressed to the point where I don't know if he's the answer anymore. I mean, at the end of last year, I said, okay, he struggled on the stretch, but, you know, overall for rookie, he had a good year, made the Pro Bowl by default. You know how everybody bows out of the Pro Bowl and then you get that Pro Bowl, whatever. But I said, okay, feel pretty good. He looks awful. Um, he just doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. He doesn't look comfortable making reads. He gets the ball, one second, two second. He's starting to duck, scramble, no confidence in his game at all. Um, so I know Patricia in the offense, then I'll put them in a good position in the offensive line, all that stuff. But for me, I'm sorry. Like I, If you're a good enough quarterback, you make plays, you get the ball to the guys, and he's not doing that at all. The last two games, Nick Folk has 29 points. The rest of the Patriot offense has 12. <laughs> and they won both games. Which is crazy. So what's which is the crazier insane. thing, It's almost Chris. impossible. What's the crazier thing, Chris, that a, a kicker has been leading the Patriots to victories or that their offense is that bad. <laughs> it would have been a lot better if their kicker is Justin Rohrwasser. <laughs> <laughs> I told you he's on Capitol Hill. <laughs> Step behind this. <laughs> Don't you listen? <laughs> yeah, it's so I'm just but but I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself as an outsider. The Patriots fan base has to still have some hope, doesn't it? Like when you're listening to the radio, the local radio stations after this game, I'm sh- how many calls do you hear? Or how many callers do they take where somebody's calling in to go, you know, if this just clicks and if this goes and that goes, that, 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 because realistically, you know, look at, look at who you're playing. You're talking about Minnesota, who I, I don't know. We're, we're going to find out this weekend if they're real. <laughs> they have right. yet to play a decent right. roster over their 7-1 right. season. Arizona, who they've they, they've shown their ass a number of times. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the Raiders, who <laughs> the aforementioned Raiders, <laughs> who we all know they're I'm a giant. They, they, they are like people talk about the Browns as the factory of sadness. Th- that's become like out west. Oh, yeah. the, like they are the factory of sadness west. You look at the games that they've been leading and then found a way to blow. It's just incredible how their offense can start hot and then just completely fall on its face. And then you got Cincy that's been struggling. You get to see Miami again, which who knows? Division games are always tough to gauge. There's enough bad football being played in the NFL right now 
that there's a realistic shot that you guys are still in this wild card standing wild card situation. If you can just find a way to get some things done down the stretch, what does the pulse of the fan base seem to be in terms of confidence that that'll happen? It, not that, not that high. I, I think all the calls, and, and I'm, I'm a sports talk radio and a podcast junkie. You know, I consume a lot like you guys do, and I, I just I, I hear more people, more people kind of being resigned as to what's Bill going to do in the off season uh, to supplement the coaching staff and get and get some help in here and get somebody who knows how to run an offense. I, I mean, it, it, right now people really just aren't in the mode. Of, of of thinking about playoffs because I think deep down inside everybody knows even if you do get in, you're not going to make any noise. You're not going to do anything. Um, and yeah, making the playoffs is great and having a playoff game is awesome. Except when you go to Buffalo, it get blown out and don't you know force the team to punt. So that's <laughs> the, and that's still fresh in a lot of people's minds. Like that's still there. Like you know that left a mark. Like that left a mark. But left the mark with me, and it left the mark with this fan base last year. That that if you want to call it performance in Buffalo, um, so I, that's sort of where people are. I think people are really like you know. I I, I came on in August and told you guys I couldn't wait for the year to be over. It hadn't even started yet. I think that's kind of where people are right now. Like this has been an abject failure, a complete disaster. Everybody saw it except Bill for some reason. That Patricia and Judge were going to be a total dumpster fire, but nobody expected Mac to be this bad. I figured okay. They're not going to be good, but they'll at least get to a point where they'll be able to like move the ball and get first downs and score points and put together drives. They've gotten progressively worse, which I, to me, I don't understand how you can spend hours, days, weeks, months as coaches game planning, teaching, practicing, and get worse. It's like almost impossible to get worse. Yeah, you should see a normal. Now. Like you, to your point, you should see a progression. An improvement right. week over week over the course of a season, not a regression. Where you're right. going, wait a minute, every week something new. Oh, oh, look, hey guys, Cole Strange has started out really well and was justifying his first round draft pick. Now all of a sudden he sucks. He's getting benched. It's like, oh my God, what is happening here? Why is everything yeah. turning to shit? It's, <laughs> you have a point. It'll be interesting though, because like I said, we are we're what the AFC West was supposed to be. Even the basement team in this division is a threat to every other division in terms of the wild card. And it's yeah, going to be interesting to watch how that plays out. And before I let you go, I got to let you know, Christian, hearing that that game back in January was like the, you guys are still walking around wearing that like a brand, <laughs> like a hot brand. <laughs> It makes my cold black heart just a little bit warmer. <laughs> really I mean, well, I'm happy to do that. I mean, I figured it was already pretty warm with the, just the lack of success we're having this year, but happy to help in any way I can. Ah, oh, Jesus. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social? You can find me at Chris with the TIA and on Twitter and uh, give me a follow. I'll give you a follow back and you can uh, once again bathe in my weekly misery. And so that brings us to the Miami Dolphins, who... I- it, it's astounding to me that there's a six-win team. It almost seems cruel, Elf, <laughs> that there can be a team who might be the most explosive offensive team in football, have six wins, and yet by virtue of the fact that they play in this specific division are somehow in third, when in reality they're dominating basically most other divisions entirely. <laughs> like, has that crossed your mind at all while you've been watching football over the last few weeks? 
Yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it was especially as I was watching uh, the Jets uh, defeat the Bills. I was thinking, uh, and there was a lot of our listeners and fans of the podcast that were hitting out to me like, "Are we rooting for the Bills or the Jets in this?" And I'm like, "If you really fear the Jets, then obviously you're rooting for the Bills." I don't, so I'm rooting for the Jets. So, yeah, you know, first of all, I was surprised that the Jets actually pulled it off. And, yeah, being in third, you know, kind of sucks, but we know better. We feel pretty good about where we're at. Uh, you know, six wins is what's important. Um, that Jet loss, you know, looms large because we just have to get it back now. That's all That's all that means. Oh, for sure. I mean, I was looking at it earlier, and, um, it, you know, Josh Allen, we, we talked about it. He makes the comment in, in his post-game interview after they lose to the Jets, and he's talking about how, you know, in the you know at least everything at least everything that we want you know is still out there in front of us and that is true you know it's still true they're still in first place in the AFC they're still in first place in the AFC East by virtue of just win percentage but it is funny when you look around and you look at how there's some divisions with teams like the Bengals who are in second place at 5 and 4 and they're 0 and 3 in their own division <laughs> you've got the Titans who are what are they they're 5 and 3 but I don't. I don't know if you'll find a softer five and three in the NFL right now. Like I don't know. We're about to see the Vikings at six and one, who I think are a real soft six and one. The Tampa Bay Bucks are the worst. Are one of the worst teams in football, and they lead their division right now. So it's just funny though when we look around and we go, "There's one, two. You know, you guys beat the Ravens. You guys, you know, you're." Far away ahead of the Titans, you're a game ahead of the Titans. You beat the Ravens, you beat the Bills, and yet you know <laughs> you're not in. You're not even in first place in the division. You know that's kind of the theme of the show tonight is how the AFC East is what we thought the AFC West was going to be this yes. year. So within that, I take a look at this game you guys had on Sunday, and is there anything that comes out of there that worries you? I mean, obviously there's because I, lo- I I look at this and I say to myself. First of all, what a you know, round of applause. Chris, we sit here, we we joked all year about just what a flop that Dolphins offense was last season. Just a failure when you looked at what the expectations were. And you look at what they are now. You know, say what you want about the, the way the team as a whole is playing. Uh, f- what, four touchdowns on five drives to open a game and no punts in the first half? Yep. It doesn't get any better than that, really. <laughs> when you're talking and we about got NFL way football. too cute on the fifth drive, uh, <laughs> which is becoming a thing now. Uh, and our coach, you know, at least he's, uh, you know, he's pretty, he's kind of forthcoming when they ask him about that because he said that they were trying to be perfect. They were trying to not allow for any time to to be left on the clock because they wanted to double dip on on the go back in the second half. Well, that makes sense. Just don't throw away thirty seconds. <laughs> And then you're stranded at the 20-yard line trying to throw into the end zone, you know? Because then what happens? Yeah, you take a bad snap, and you line up for a 29-yard field goal, and Jason Sanders misses it, (laughs) you know? So Well, and and so out of that, when you're talking about getting cute, here we're watching this game, kind of of just box score watching it as I'm watching the Bills game, and I see you guys go up by 10, and then all of a sudden it's a three-point game. And then I see you guys go up by 10, and then it's a two-score game. And I'm saying to myself, what the hell's happening here? And then down the stretch, it gets real close. And I'm watching this, and I'm saying to myself, 
the offense in the first half was scoring at will. And it kind of like, it's almost like you know, the Bills have had games like this this season, where your offense looks dominant in one half, you come out in the second half, and the other team makes some adjustments, and you know you have what it takes. Right? Your, your offense has proven that you've got elite talent. Then you guys go and you say, you know what we're going to do in the third? We're going to go turnover on downs, turnover on downs, we're going to punt, and then luckily we get to kneel it out at the end. <laughs> That is there any concern there over how that just completely came off the rails down the stretch? Yeah, there was a, there was a serious lack of execution there. There's mainly mm. two plays. First of all, I love the play calls. Uh, I just hated the execution. The the first one, Durham Smythe. You know, you got to blame, I guess, the quarterback because he could have taken he could have taken the ball and and run with it and gotten that first down. You know, deep in in Bears territory on fourth down. But he looks at Durham Smythe, and it's one of those where they look at each other, and then Tua's like, okay, I'm throwing it to you because you're wide open. And Durham Smythe turns his back to, to Tua, and then Tua is stuck in between, do I throw it to him or not? And <laughs> Did he see me? Like, he didn't acknowledge it. If I throw it, is he going to keep running? Like, what's going to happen? So he throws it, and then he throws it at his feet. Like, And you're wondering, what the hell went on there? And uh, afterwards, uh, you know, they asked the coach about it, and Mike McDaniel said it was one of those where, you know, neither guy knew what to do with it because he was so wide open, <laughs> you know. And then uh, and Tua was like, you know, I didn't know if he was going to run the wheel because he thought he could score or he was going to block his man, and I had to run with it. And for a second there, I thought he was looking at me, so I threw it at him, and then, of course, you know, the ball just went to the ground. The other one was great call, uh, and it was a great audible. Two of C's, what looks like a zero blitz. The, uh, Bears were kind of desperate. Uh, I also didn't like that sequence because they ran it on first down, they ran it on second down, which was the exact opposite of what they did against the Lions the previous week. Uh, if you remember in that game against the Lions, they had, they needed to kill three minutes, and they decided, you know what, we've been throwing it all over the lot. We're going to keep throwing it and get a bunch of first downs and end the game that way. Well, this time they got the ball to try to kill it, and they ran it on first down, ran it on second down, didn't get anything, and now it's third and 11. And the Bears dialed up an all-out blitz, and you could see that Tua is audibling to what looks like something with Waddle. Waddle runs a go. He's wide open. Tua throws it, and Eddie Jackson comes out of nowhere to break it up, although it does hit waddle in the chest had to just put a little bit more air on it we're talking about a 75 yard touchdown to end the game but it was one of those two it was one of those things uh two bad plays poor execution mostly on the quarterback but some on the receiver on the opposite side of the ball you know you look at this one and you say okay because I'm, I'm sitting there at home the first thing i'm thinking is how are the Dolphins scoring as many points? But also, what the hell is their defensive coordinator doing? Now, everybody knows that man defense, one of the weaknesses of playing that style is that when you have a running quarterback, you're, you're, asking, you're asking your corners to, and in some cases your linebackers, to turn their backs on the quarterback. In this game, it was almost like they prepped for that. And so you watch Justin Fields have a career day on the ground. Uh, what is it? Eight rushes for double-digit yardage, including a 60. When I saw it, I'm like, that, that, that's, that's Lamar Jackson shit. A 61-yard touchdown run. And four of his rushes for double digits came on third down. 
was what was your level of frustration with watching how Boyer approached a quarterback who you knew coming into the football game was going to try and run the ball if you pressed him into it? Yeah, I was fine with the strategy. I was I was really pissed <clears> off <throat> about the the execution. Um, I've kind of coached this before, and it's it's everybody coaches it pretty much the same way. When you're gonna when when you're gonna run a spy, okay. First of all, uh, I showed some pictures on Twitter, um, which kind of showed what successful uh, third downs look like for the Dolphin defense against Justin Fields, and it was the same thing they tried the entire game. It's just man across, and you're talking about a single high safety and a and a spy. That's it. Nothing fancy about about that. <laughs> They're just playing bump and run press man all across the board on third and 11, third and five, third and whatever. Okay. And to watch him convert that third and 11 and he's taken off for 14 yards. You're like, what the <laughs> fuck guys? We planned for this. Yeah. So they, they have a, a spy. It's taught the same way everywhere. Okay. You're at seven yards. You don't move up with the rush at all. You maintain it seven yards from the line of scrimmage. You mirror the quarterback. He takes off. You make the tackle. You at least get in his way to try to have people rally. That's why you're at seven yards, so you can move downhill toward the quarterback. For whatever reason, a rush was getting up the field, and the spy was coming with the rush as well. And then all of a sudden, it's fields and the spy in space within two yards of the line of scrimmage, not seven. Missed tackle, 15 yards. And it was... And on the 61 yard, forget it. That was like three or four missed tackles on that play. <laughs> so they had a plan. They just needed to tackle. And at some point, they needed to to adjust a little bit. And they kind of did toward the end and had a little success. But it was, you know, it, it really was frustrating. Um, I told everybody, look, the Bears, you know, have been pretty successful the last couple of weeks. They put up 33 points and 250 yards against the, the Patriots rushing. And then against the Cowboys, it was 29 points and 240 yards. They evidently could do it to us as well because we gave up 252 yards and 32 points. But it was really frustrating how he did it. And, well, he deserves it. He's the player of the week this week, 178 yards rushing. Like, wow. So when we look at the complexion of the division, because we're talking about this through the lens of like, hey, we are what we thought the AFC West was going to be. Because I just I think it's incredibly interesting how we're cannibalizing each other. <laughs> we're the division that every single team outside of the war of attrition we're waging on each other. We're basically steamrolling everybody else. Like that's so we had talked earlier, and you 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 had made comments earlier in the season about how oh the back half of the schedule it's going to soften up. You see a whole lot of just these are going to be easy, and then it's going to be the Buffalo Bills playing in December against the Dolphins for the division crown. And now you're seeing that a team like the Lions, where for that that game it was just a handful of broken plays. You kind of laid that out for us. That kind of ruined the game, game early and forced you guys to have to play catch up. This week, it was death by a thousand paper cuts against a quarterback who's not really that great of a passer, just more of an athlete. But a decent rushing attack and kind of paces to play. You're going into games now with these cracks in your front seven and just the execution and tackling against strong rushing teams like the Cleveland Browns, uh, the surprisingly at least entertaining Houston Texans, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the Chargers, teams that can can move the ball on the ground, have quarterbacks who aren't 
super turnover prone, even if they're not the most dynamic passers. And that seems to be enough to at least make you guys work for it. What's your level of concern knowing that it's going to take the guys in front of you faltering and you guys continuing on this path you're on? What's your level of concern here over the next, I don't know, four weeks as you look ahead based on how these last two have gone? Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, we've been talking about this all all week on on OnlyFans. It's now this is not a bug anymore. This is now a feature. This team, I expect them to play very very well on Sunday. Why? They're at home. For whatever reason, our defense plays really really well at home. They give up 15 points a game on the road. They're giving up 32. Okay, okay. So I don't know what it is, but it's been three years of this where this team at home. Seems to show, okay, like all this talent they have on defense, it actually counts for something. But on the road, for whatever reason, they have a breakdown here, a breakdown there, miscommunication, oh, you and aren't they're kidding. giving up points. I'm looking at this right now. Seven at home week one, 38 week two in Baltimore. The 19, you hold Buffalo to 19, and then you go to Cincinnati. Obviously, the that game will throw that out because of all the flux. But then you go to the Jets and give up 40. <laughs> then you get two a back. You go to the Lions and you give up 27 like that. Yeah, you're not kidding. Like, this is <laughs> holy shit. Yeah. So, and it's, it's been wild. three years of this. And it's three years of this. Like, we don't know. As far as, you know, his help on the way, well, Bradley Chubb, you know, should get, you know, a full compliment this week of snaps. Although he played a lot toward the end of the game because we were like, man, we need anything. <laughs> you know, just put him out there and have him rush off the edge. He was really close. But Melvin Ingram actually came up with the, the biggest play of the game. Uh, Byron Jones, we're still waiting. Um, I've revealed, look, if he's not on the plane headed out west for those two games in California, then Byron Jones is just done for the year. But, um, you know, the coach was asked today, and he said, no, nah, you know, we still hold out hope that he's going to play, but nothing nothing to report there. So they just got to play up to what they have and, you know, probably soften up some of their coverages because you know, all this man and all these all these blitzes, you know, you know, it's cost them in, in some of these games, namely against Detroit. Against Detroit, that was just a piss poor game plan that they exploited. Against the Bears, it was just, I would blame it more on the personnel, not making plays. But they need to make an adjustment. Maybe maybe get more, much more conservative on defense now that you have Bradley Chubb and you have an offense that you can trust, right? Yeah. So don't, don't play too volatile is what I would say. And so, Alf, you were telling us that you yourself, this is just an interesting aside as we're going to talk about it later in the show, you were telling us that you yourself suffered a UCL injury. And as that obviously is, a, it's, the, it's one of the themes of tonight's show. It's something we're going to be talking about in depth. What was your experience with this injury like? Uh, I used to play baseball, and I played third base shortstop. And I used to throw a lot in practice, obviously, as a baseball player. And one day I was just noticing I was laboring. I was going to, it was a Tuesday, as I remember, and we were playing a game on a Thursday and I was going to start at third base. Um, I was having a hard time getting it across the diamond to first base. And I was wondering, like, you know, this is odd. This is weird. Uh, I'm throwing like I normally throw, but I don't have the power. And I'm really having to really strain to get it out there. Uh, I went to go see a specialist and sure enough, I had what they called at the time dead arm, which is what we know now to be a UCL injury. Um, how does this pertain to, to Josh Allen? I think it pertains to, you know, how he's going to have to manage this in, this injury. Uh, my experience is that rest is what, 
you know, did the trick because a year later I was perfectly fine and I could throw the ball just like I always did. But it was about four weeks of, pro- of rest is what I probably needed to get somewhere reasonably back to 100%. But I think what makes it interesting for Josh Allen is how he's going to regulate his throwing uh, for now, if he's going to try to play through it, because there's going to be a difference. He's going to rear back. He's going to try to throw that 20-yard out, and it's going to look different to him at first. So he's going to have to regulate it. It's going to be a Ryan Fitzpatrick, huh? Yeah, he's going to have to regulate it and figure out how to – He's essentially going to have to figure out how to throw some and make some of these throws again. And then it's all about pain. But, you know, Josh Allen, pretty tough guy. He could handle it as far as pain is concerned. I was going to say, what's the so, pain? I was going to say, so for you, because you were, you were telling us earlier when you were kind of running this all down, that you played second base. You were like, okay, I can't throw across the diamond anymore, so they moved you to second base. And you said yes. at that point it was just a load and pain management issue. Yeah, it's every time you threw – uh, you got pain. Um, mm. Every time you threw hard, you threw. Uh, you, you know, you had pain. I started learning how to throw sidearm from second base because it wouldn't hurt me as much. Uh, there wasn't as much pain. And then, lo and behold, like I said, uh, about a year after the initial injury, I'm like, wait a minute, I can throw again, and I don't have any pain. And it was mostly about the rest that I got from playing football. Oddly enough, <laughs> so you know, so. You know, not playing baseball for about a six month period actually helped me in that regard. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, yeah, it's a uh, like I like I explained earlier off off air. Uh, like perfect management would be four weeks off. If you guys can't afford four weeks off to get them reasonably close to a hundred percent, and then have them slowly decline through the playoffs and possibly the Super Bowl. Uh, I would say you know. Give him the week off and see how he feels on Monday. And then, you know, it's just about pain, you know. Well, he's a tough son of a bitch. It'll be interesting to see how they play it. I wish you guys luck. I mean, a little bit of luck. Not too much. <laughs> not, not too much, but a little bit because I like you. Where can people find you on social media and where can they follow everything you guys are doing over at uh, Three Yards Per Carry? Uh, you can follow me on social media at Alf underscore Artiaga. And, of course, our podcast, the number three yards per carry on Twitter. And, of course, you can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast. It's, again, the number three yards per carry. Spotify, iTunes, everywhere. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so we turn to the fucking Jets, 
who beat the Buffalo Bills 20 to 17 this week. Scott, this is how you know that this is how you you know unequivocally that I like you. I flirted on the drive over here with doing the old uh, I don't know if you remember this from uh but you're a radio guy and a, a TV guy and you you know all these things. The Opie and Anthony show years and years and years ago had actress uh-huh. Kristen Bell scheduled for an interview to plug some movie of hers. And they get her in and they get they're all like they're like huge star, Kristen Bell, she's in this movie. And she answers the phone, they ask her a question, and she starts to answer, and then you just hear a dial tone because they hung up on her. <laughs> In conversation, and I thought it was one of the funniest bits to just like call somebody up, give them this grand intro, make them feel important, and then just drop the call. I just never called them back. And in my head, as I'm driving over here today, I'm like, I don't have it in me to do it to Scott. But ooh, <laughs> after this game, it's at least an idea that's floating around in my head. You guys, is it fair to say the Jets' defense is the story of the game? It was one of the stories for sure. I think another one of the stories was the fact that Zach Wilson played probably his most consistent game of the season from start to finish. And if you look at the box score, it was nothing special, 154 yards, but it was efficient. He was confident. He made the throws he needed to make. And Garrett Wilson was beating press coverage all day long. He did a fantastic job. I think ultimately what it comes down to is the Jets' defense put the team in position to be competitive with the Bills the entire game, and Zach Wilson and the offense did just enough to seize it at the end, really. So it's a two-part story. The The offense was the efficient kind of 49ers-ish offense that they've been trying to build, and the defense was... I guess the 49ers, I really, I guess what I'm saying is the Jets sort of look like those old Robert Sala 49ers teams that he was a part of. But yeah, the defense came up big a a bunch of times. You hit on something there that we didn't get a chance to talk to in our game recap. Um, Garrett Wilson beating press coverage. It's interesting because, Chris, aren't we known, like we're known for being a zone defense by trade, right? Sure. Except when you look at the makeup of our secondary, we've been playing with a lot of rookies. You've been having a lot of young players like Kyrie Lim, Christian Benford. You're putting Saran Neal in, <laughs> in place of linebackers and place of safeties. So I think what you're seeing is that so far through the early going of the season, there has been a much healthier dosage of man coverage from the Buffalo Bills, which is a departure from what McDermott's core scheme is supposed and Leslie Frazier's core scheme is supposed to be. And I think that's kind of an admission by our by our coordinators that look, at a certain point we have to we have to kind of retool what we're doing to fit the talent that we have on hand because we don't have eventually when we have a Trey White and we have a Dane Jackson and we have a Matt Milano and we can get a Jordan Poirier back we can go back to playing zone defense the way we're used to doing it with all these injuries. And you got Terrell Bernard in place of Matt Milano. Like there's, there's no way a rookie can step in and be asked to play with all of the, you know, take on all of the responsibilities that Matt Milano carries. So in that way, they said, let's simplify it. Let's play man. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, Garrett Wilson just showed us the worst thing that can happen is that a wide receiver from the other team Against a quarterback who we've talked about this for a week now, 
coming into this game, he really struggled getting after that first read. If his first read wasn't open, he could you could get him to develop happy feet. You could get him out of rhythm. You could get him out of focus. The Bills weren't able to consistently generate that, either because their pressure wasn't able to get home or because that first read, which was oftentimes Garrett Wilson, he just got open. And it was... It was a boon to your offense, and I think it's something that our defensive coordinators are going to have to take a look at and eventually say, look, guys, either we change the totality of our defense or these kids are going to have to learn to start playing the off-ball coverage that this whole scheme is supposed to be built around. But you guys took advantage of it. I got to give you credit for that. You took advantage of the youth, the bad angles we took on a couple of those, like the long rushing drive for the game-winning field goal. Like, that's where the youth of this defense got exploited. Now, when you see that, right, like just the rushing drive that saves the game, that truly is the type of offense the Jets are trying to be, right? Like rush, 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 and then all of a sudden Denzel Mims and he's open and he gets you to the goal line and then it's like that's who you guys are trying to be, correct? Yeah, no question about it. That was what they were doing when Brees Saul was here, they went and got James Robinson to sort of step in there. And now instead of it being mostly Brees Hall, it's going to be a mix and match between Robinson and Michael Carter. But yeah, 100 percent. And like I said, I, I talked about this before. It's that 49ers formula. If you look at the defense, they're playing the defense sort of that 49ers way with the rotations and the way that they uh, have the complement of the coverage and the the um, the pass rush together. And, and on offense, it's run the ball where you know chew up the clock wear down the opposing defense and have your quarterback step up a handful of times and make throws when he needs to which is more or less what Jimmy G has done with the San Francisco 49ers and you you want Zach Wilson to eventually be better than that but for right now if he can play that role competently the Jets as you saw on Sunday can hang with just about anybody I'm not saying they're going to beat everybody but they can be competitive against anybody if their formula is working and like you said the defense really they're they're the unit that can keep them in every game, it's going to be up to Zach Wilson and the offense to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that the defense creates for them. But we talked about Sauce Gardner and how much we were looking forward to that matchup between the Jets corners and the Bills uh, wide receivers. And really, other than Stefan Diggs having that one really good play at the very beginning, a 42 yarder where Sauce had clearly looked at the tape and thought that. Diggs was going to run a different route than he did. And so he played it the wrong way. And it's going to happen with any cornerback, let alone a, a rookie. Other than that, though, the the Jets cornerbacks won the day. I mean, Gabe Davis was a complete non-factor. You sent me a really funny text where I said to you, I don't understand these people that are trying to claim that Gabe Davis was interfered with. In fact, if you look at the footage closely, it was an offensive pass interference. He was pushing off. And you texted me back. I'm tired of him playing like a bitch. He's six foot four. Why does he play wide receiver like he's Chris? So <laughs> he plays wide receiver like he's Chris Krueger. I'm sorry. He's you're. I remember tweeting tweeting out it or DMing somebody because they were like, "What's wrong with your boy Gabe Davis from another from another fan base?" And I was just like, "Cause he's he's soft. He's soft like puppy shit." And it's frustrating to me to watch a guy that big who has all of the the ability to be that physical, be so suspect with his hands. I mean, we went over all the statistics in our recap. It's 
And I mean, obviously, there's things you can do differently. There's different things you can massage into this offense to get him to be a little bit more productive for you. This game was kind of a come-to-Jesus moment for the Buffalo Bills, I think, because I think a lot of their sins in terms of how they built this roster, things that they were had a hubris about that they probably shouldn't have, all of their chickens came to roost in this one game. I, I, was, I was floored by how good your cornerbacks looked. Now, one thing that I do find hilarious, a week after Elijah Moore throws a fit, demands a trade, doesn't get traded at the deadline, there's all this drama, they're like, we have him in the building, it's going to be fine, he's out here. He plays 45% of the snaps, doesn't see a single target. I retweeted a video of his quote. Someone was like, hey, here's all of Elijah Moore's highlights today. And it's just a montage of him running around in the backfield (laughs) in motion pre-snap. He doesn't see a single. They have completely and utterly phased this player out of the offense. And I just, I find that incredibly interesting when you're talking about an offense that would seemingly accept all the help it can get. Well, it sounds like they're going to start trying to use him in the slot. I think they were soft benching him to teach him a lesson. And really that's what this was. He was out there, but he clearly wasn't being looked at. I do think the the positive of the Elijah Moore heel turn, if I could use a pro wrestling reference is that it allowed Denzel Mims between that and Corey Davis getting hurt. It allowed Denzel Mims another chance to get in there. And he had one of the biggest catches of the entire game. It was his only catch on the stat sheet. There were a couple where he came close, but that one was huge. In traffic, he was able to catch it on a key third down to keep the chains moving, chew up clock, force the Bills to take the rest of their timeouts before kicking the field goal. So Elijah Moore falling out of favor has corresponded strangely with Denzel Mims getting back to the mix because everybody thought going into last year when they drafted Elijah Moore, this is great. You've got Elijah Moore and Denzel Mims. That's going to be your number one and number two for the next however many years. Corey Davis is here. He'll be your guy for a year or two that while while Mims and, and Davis are really, excuse me, while Mims and Moore are really becoming that long-term tandem, right? Those will be that'll be the guy Corey Davis they'll step in and be your veteran. But what happened was Mims fell out of favor, ended up not playing a lot of the year, and then when he did play, he had trouble. So then they went back to the drawing board and got Garrett Wilson. Well, we'll see what happens now with Elijah Moore. Is he gonna work his way back into favor with the coaching staff the way that Denzel Mims did? Or is this going to be a continuing thing? Supposedly, he's going to be used a lot more in the slot now, Elijah Moore. So I'm curious how that changes things. But ultimately, it really is kind of crazy the way this offense has evolved this season. You thought that it was going to be built around Brees Hall, then he got hurt, right? And then you thought that Elijah Moore was going to be the number one receiver, and he's barely been used. And you thought that Denzel Mims wasn't going to get used at all. Now he's back in the mix. The offensive line has gone through 800 different iterations. Uh, what you saw on Sunday, Cedric Abue was starting, and Dwayne Brown, who was the third offensive tackle, who they signed after Becton got hurt, was starting, and Nate Herbig, who was brought in to be depth, was starting. The only guy, uh, the only two guys on the offensive line that have started the entire season were are Lakin Tomlinson, who plays left guard, and the center, Connor McGovern. So, the offense has gone through a lot of <laughs> ups and downs and changes, but if they can build on what they did this past week against the Bills, 
They're not going to be blowing anybody's doors off. They're not going to be scoring the way the Bills or the Chiefs do, but they might have enough firepower to, in conjunction with their defense, be a problem for the upper echelon like the Bills, like the Chiefs, like the Eagles, and so on and so forth. So the theme of tonight's show is we're going kind of walking this down. You know, talking to you, I don't want to yell at you as much as I do in the drive over here. Scott, I just you're you're a good dude and I actually I, I genuinely like you. It's also not my fault that they're keeping it. <laughs> hey, listen. Like, I'm not on the Jets. Listen, so you trying to rationalize it. You, you that would work if you're talking to a rational human being. You're talking to me. <laughs> the AFC East the theme of the show is just how the AFC East is here in 2022, what we all thought the AFC West was supposed to be in the preseason. Just this one juggernaut team after another after another that was basically going to demolish. The, they were probably going to beat up on a lot of teams outside their division and then war of attrition across the division. And it's played out, you know, kind of within the division that might give some other teams hope from the outside. Right now, the AFC East is playing the most dominant football as a, as a whole compared to any other division out there. I mean, the AFC South is a tire fire. Uh, the, the what is it? I think their starting quarterback completed three passes or four passes on Sunday Night Football, <laughs> which is laughable. Um, they're a five win team that's kind of that just got destroyed. Like PETA wrote a letter. Like, wrote a letter to the NFL. That's how ugly. Like, NBC, like, don't don't air beatings of, of animals like that on TV anymore. Uh, then you look around, you go, the Ravens. Okay, the Ravens lost to the Dolphins. <laughs> the Ravens lost to the Bills. The Ravens are leading their division. They're 2-0 against the AFC East. Uh, meanwhile, the Bills are leading their division, and they're 0-2. Against the AFC East. The Ravens are 0-2 against the AFC East. The Titans. It's the AFC East is chewing people up and also hurting ourselves in the process. Is it interesting to you? Like, what is it knowing that your team just beat the number one team in the AFC and you're still somehow behind them in the standings? How frustrating is that? The funny thing is, if they just would have held on against the Patriots, they'd be not only at the top of the division, they'd be the number one seed in the AFC heading into the bye. So how crazy is that? Yeah, listen, uh, the truth is, I'm not going to be one of these Jets fans that say, well, if you would have told me they were going to be six and three at the bye, I never would have believed it. And this is amazing. And who wouldn't have signed for this? Yeah, sure. That's all true. But the expectations, Drew, as you know, they change as more facts come to light and as you see these things play out. Because when you see rosters in the preseason, when you see rosters in the offseason, it's one thing to have them on paper. It's another thing to see it in practice. And when the Jets started playing better than you thought they would, then the expectations raise. And it goes in reverse, too, right? Like if a team is worse than you expected, then your expectations lower. So now, as a Jets fan, I think you went from Maybe they're a team that could win six or seven games and be interesting to they better be in the playoff mix. And now they better be in the division mix. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Jets fans should expect them to win the division. What I do think it means is having seen them beat the Dolphins already, having seen them shoot themselves in the foot against the Patriots, a game they should have won. And now they'll have a chance to avenge that next week off the bye in Foxborough. And having seen them beat the Bills, you have to say to yourself, 
there's no reason that this team shouldn't at least be in contention for the division. Not necessarily expect to win, but there's no reason they shouldn't be in contention. And that's it's interesting because all like you said, Drew, really the Dolphins people can downplay it. The Dolphins are playing very well right now. Tua looks really, really good. Uh, the the Bills have come back down to earth a little bit only because I guess Josh Allen's going to try and play through this injury, but we don't know what that's going to look like in practice yet. And it could get worse, and then maybe Case Keenum comes in. We don't know. The the Jets, uh, they were, until this game, I think a lot of people thought they were a fraud in a lot of ways. I think this game disabused people of that narrative to an extent. And the Patriots, look, I'm not impressed with their offense at all. But they find ways to stay in these games, and they've won a bunch of games so far this season that people didn't expect. So it's going to be a really interesting and, I think, competitive division down the stretch because you do have four teams that very well could be in the playoff mix. And I don't know the last time we've seen this. It's It's been no. a long time since you've had the four last really time, good teams. The last time the division's been wide open. And like I said, like it's it's not not just that, but four really good teams in the thing. You look at what the preseason Super Bowl odds were supposed to be. The Buffalo Bills were obviously on the the top. It was the Packers, the Chiefs, and the Buccaneers falling in behind them. But then you look at the teams in the AFC West, because I just I can't get enough of this process of like this thought process of we're actually the division to be feared in the AFC, not the AFC West. The so so you have the Chiefs. Obviously, they're great. The Chargers were fifteen to one to win the Super Bowl. Right now, there's a chance they're not even a wild card team. It's, it's going to come up to how they fare against you guys down the stretch here. There's, I know they have to play the Dolphins. They have to play a couple. They've got some tough matchups. The Denver Broncos were sixteen to one. Sixteen to one Super Bowl favorites. Their head coach might be the next one to get fired. That's the, the right now. They're the best odds on favorite to win that before <laughs> they are a Super Bowl. The Raiders were thirty to one. Right now, that, the, if it wasn't for the number one, that might be the score that they lose by in their next game. Like what? It, it's crazy to think that the AFC East has gone from being this team, this division that everyone thought was just it's the Bills. Eh, the Bills own that, and everyone else is going to putter around. We are the division to be feared in the AFC. It's really crazy to see how all three teams ended up here. I can't wait to see how this season finishes out. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on social and all the content you're going to have while we head down that road. So you can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And if you want, you could do the opposite of what Drew did here and curse me out if you want on Twitter. I mean, (laughs) I'll understand. Uh, Like I said, it's not really my fault what happened, but if it makes you feel better, go for it. Uh, The show is available seven days a week. God help me and my sanity. Uh, All podcast platforms, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, you can go to playlikeajet.com. We've got our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. We should have some really good content up there during the bye week. The Thunder from down under, Luke Grant, has got some great ideas for what he wants to add to the channel. And you have to say, Luke uh, really has to be enjoying these wins more than just about anybody else because much as many people had to get up very, very early in the United States to watch Logan Paul go head-to-head with Roman Reigns in Saudi Arabia at Crown Jewel last weekend, 
Luke Grant every single week on Sundays has to wake up at an ungodly hour in Australia to watch the Jets games. So for him to finally be able to watch a good Jets team, that has got to feel especially good for him. So check out his work that we have on our channel, youtube.com slash play like a jet. Boys, looking forward to talking to you next week, and I am very curious to see how this Josh Allen playing through the injury experiment goes. I just hope that he doesn't hurt himself even worse. As a Jets fan, don't get me wrong, I would, wouldn't be against seeing him out for a few weeks, but I never root for anybody to get hurt. So hopefully he finds a way to avoid that because I don't think anybody wants to see that. And that brings us, unfortunately, to the Buffalo Bills, who lost to the Jets 20-17. to Hopefully you guys went back and listened to our... By now, if you're hearing this podcast, you've probably already listened to our recap of that disaster and also taken some positive things away from it. And you've listened to our preview. Hopefully I made you a little more optimistic. Now, obviously, the big story this week is the injury to Josh Allen. And just injuries in general seem to be plaguing the Buffalo Bills. And so... As I crack a fresh Montucky, I enjoy getting to bring to the show a guest who, Chris, you you said it, I think earlier when we were talking about this off air, Kyle might be one of the longest tenured returning guests. Doctor, if that stethoscope is as freezing cold as it was yesterday. Doctor Kyle Trimble. I'm going to shove it right up your ass. Bangedupbills.com. Kyle, how are you doing this evening? A little tired, but overall pretty good. Good to talk to you guys again. Do you enjoy the fact that Chris thinks of you as Dr. Feelgood, apparently? I love yeah, it. Motley Crue was in there. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Have you, have, you, have you seen Mick Mars lately? Mick Mars. Mick Mars. He's been rough for probably about 30 years, so I, I think he saw he's finally retiring. So, him and Keith yeah. Richards are legally dead already, they just, yeah, <laughs> they well, just haven't yeah. stopped moving. Yeah, well, well, uh, Mick Mars has the posture of a jumbo shrimp. <laughs> well, his is medically that's a there's a medical reason behind that, so you know, which is why you're here. Of course, yeah, you know yeah, exactly. that, of, <laughs> of course, you know that. So, Kyle. Obviously, first and first and foremost, congratulations! All the success you and just bangedupbills.com and the stuff. You just yeah, you're almost to eight thousand follows on the Twitter. And the, somehow, yeah, you've doubled us up. And remember when you were you bear like like what I love about you is that you were the first person we met who we brought in to see like to do a podcast with us, just kind of off social media, <laughs> and then invited into my home. And my wife looked at me and goes. You mean to tell me that a man that you don't know that you met on the internet is coming to our home? And I was like, well, when you say it like that, it sounds terrible. And now, look at us now. Look at us now. You're, you're this flourishing content creator. We're our families, our friends. Like, this is, <laughs> it couldn't have gone better. I, I, I couldn't, like, I celebrate the fact that you're finding success in this thing, which is kind of why, like, like I said, I, this is why I kind of pushed you to do it was because I wanted, I knew that you had this. You just needed to get out there and try it. And once you oh, yeah. came out of your shell a little bit, you'd be great at it and look at you now. 
I keep thinking if you would not burn down your Twitter following, you'd have 10K right now. But, you know, that that's just for another day. Well, so. no, no, that's <laughs> it. Like, unlike you and Cover One and Locked on Bills and all the people who actually care about having success in this industry, I get drunk and destroy my Twitter constantly. I, I think it's hilarious how, like, one we're close to 41-41 weekend. And then I go on a drunken rain after a, a Sabres game goes sideways and a Bills game just doesn't go our way. And then we lose 50 followers, and by the following weekend, we're back to where we started. It's like, well, I mean, at this rate, you're right. <laughs> we're doing yeah. but, but honestly, the people who stick around, those are our people. <laughs> hey, they're the ones who get us. And I wouldn't have it any other way. And you're one of those people. So you're here tonight to talk. That I am. That I am. And so you're here to talk to us about all these injuries. Now, first of all, before we get into the Josh Allen stuff, because that's obviously the the crux of the conversation, is this the most, you know, we were talking about this, we were texting about it earlier. This has to be the most injured, consistently injured, a Sean McDermott team has been since you've been watching and covering them over the last few years, right? I would say so. There's been certain weeks where there's been more guys on the injury report, but sometimes it happens right before a bye, or sometimes you just get a bad week where there's a lot of guys dealing with stuff, but it's just been constant, like double digits every single week. Like, I don't know the last time it was below, you know, in the single digits. It's just been nonstop, and, you know, it just, I don't know. It, that, it's just a lot of averages at this point. Well, so, at least your website's getting hits. Oh, yeah. I will say that. There, well, that's you know? it. It's like one of those things where you're like, well, it's bad for the bills, but it's good for business. I like that. Yes, it is. Yeah. It, yeah. So when you look at the bills injuries right now, heading into their matchup against the, the Vikings, there's a lot of names in that report and there's some really significant ones. And there's a couple that I just want to briefly pick your brain about Jordan Poyer. His elbow injury, it sounds like a re-aggravation or maybe even an exacerbation of his previous injury. Now, over at Banged Up Bills, I know you go back and you watch a lot of the tape and you t- try to diagnose when and where. Having looked at all that, I mean, I don't want to spill too much of the tea because I want people to go check that out. What can you tell us about the potential for re-aggravation of that kind of hyperextension of the elbow and maybe a little bit of what you think he might be dealing with? So we know that Jordan Poyer wasn't wearing his uh, brace for the first time since suffering the injury back in early uh, training camp. So I had noted that. And then he goes and tries to tackle Robert Tanyan, hits his forearm against the uh, thigh of Tanyan, and then managed to stay in the rest of the series, defensive series, and then came out with a wrap on his arm. And, you know, it's kind of where we're at to now here. So they say he's day-to-day. He missed last week, which isn't surprising. But – he suffered a hyperextension of the elbow in the first place at that time, back in August, you think, okay, maybe you avoid some serious injury. That is a mechanism for injury for UCL. Um, we do see that. We saw it with Josh Allen back in 2018 and, uh, but we never got a confirmation though. They weren't going to tell us that. Um, now seeing that more, you see it go into that, that 90, 90 position, that cocked back, position where mm-hmm. you know like you see in baseball where the arms up you know 90 degrees of abduction 90 degrees of elbow flexion gets hit that further so he can be dealing with more of a aggravation exacerbation if you will so i'm sure there was some structural damage in there already and then hitting it like that probably only worsened things could have made things really really not great in there i know that with josh allen who we'll get into there's concerns about the nerve issues um i don't know that Poyer's dealing with that but you can't rule that out 
Um, the climb and flexor tendon is in that area. So if you think about where that is, the find the inside portion of your elbow, that's the medial elbow, and then start wiggling your fingers. You can feel where all the tendons kind of connect to that area. So there could oh, be some right issues now. with that. <laughs> like as we're speaking of doing it right now. Everybody does it. Everybody does it. So that's why I bring it up because then you can, it's an easy way to understand how that all articulates and attaches there. So attaches the medial epicondyle. Um, you know, he, he hasn't been practicing all this week. We're, we're speaking on Wednesday, of course, but um, I think the injury is a little more severe than what the team is letting on, which that's the purview. They're not going to tell us anything that they don't need to, but, Boy, yeah. um, but I, he, he's definitely dealing with something I think more than I think the team's letting on. And I think at this point with him playing for a contract, knowing what's at stake, Super Bowl playoffs, everything like that, like I'd be doing whatever I can to get out there instead of saying, eh, I'm going to get surgery and, you know, um, try to get hit free agency. Cause I mean, teams are still going to look at that with the injuries that he's had this year. And I'd age. rather ball out. And- yeah. He's going to, he's going to, well, not only that, but if this truly is his last hurrah in terms of this is the last time that a contender is going to sign me to be a starter, I want to make sure that I'm here to try to chase that ring. But yep. you know that. he's You're talking about a guy who drove halfway across the country just so he could play in that Chiefs game. Absolutely. Like, he's got that dog. He's got that dog in him. And so, in that way, I don't doubt for a second that he's fighting to stay on the active roster tooth and nail. Now, when you look at some of the other injuries, I mean, Tremaine Edmonds, they've been talking about a heel here and there, but he played last week. Didn't seem to really hamper him. Some of the other nagging injuries, like when I when I just look at the Bills injury report for the week. But then I think about Matt Milano. We very badly missed him. <laughs> very badly in the run defense department last week. In fact, you could almost make the argument that if he had been in, I don't know that they get that last gasp drive down the field to kick a game-winning field goal. I don't know. I just don't know if any of it goes that way. So when I look at that, and it's an oblique strain, and you saw him doing work on the sideline over the course of the week, how close do you think he is to a return based on the work you saw him doing? He's a lot closer this week than he was last week. I mean, he was moving around pretty good um, from a running standpoint, jumping all of the agility drills, but we didn't see any rotational con- uh, components with that. True. But today he was limited in practice. He was moving around more. I don't recall seeing any film, but he didn't. He had the run dog contact jersey on, but I, I know that they want to bring him along. But the oblique injuries, there are terms of severity, but I've seen that they're not as bad as they as some other injuries could be in about a week, which we see with a lot of soft tissue take a little bit more, such as a calf, but I expect Milano to play this week, and um, I, I don't see any other reason why unless he has do not participate for Thursday and Friday. Mitch Morse in the elbow. He shows up every single week. We watched him come out of the game for a, a handful of plays a couple weeks ago, and now he's been getting veteran rest, limited participation, and it's been listed as vet rest slash elbow. And it's kind of haunted him the last few weeks, but he's playing. Do you do you see anything in his play on game day when you're going over film and you're looking at other players, but you're kind of watching it? Do you think it's limiting him, or do you think he's at capacity and they're just managing something that might be a nagging injury? I think the latter. I think it's more just managing, and I I don't I don't pay attention to him on game day, and it's not that I'm not paying attention to him, but 
you only pay attention to an offensive lineman if they make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's not making mistakes. He's blocking. He's not getting beat. That's a snapping uh, elbow. Like, I don't think about him out there. So, like, yeah, he's on there with an elbow injury. He probably did suffer type of, some type of sprain. There could be bone chips and there could be something else going on there. But it's managed and he's still playing pretty well. So, Josh Allen. <laughs> the big one. The big one. The silver tuna, Mr. Josh Allen. Uh, this elbow injury, when it happens, you see it in real time, and they're replaying it on TV, and they're going, oh, that looked pretty bad, and he looks like he's wincing, and you can see him flexing those fingers, and I don't know, I don't know, I think he might be hurt. And then he hauls off the longest air yards, like air yardage pass of the entire season by any quarterback immediately afterwards. Now, when you think about what a UCL injury is, and what patients you've seen who have had that and what you know about the injury and what it does to your grip strength, what it does to your arm strength. What planet is Josh Allen from? Do you think it's a planet not yet discovered because (laughs) he's one, he's one on one right now. So when you see that though, does that make you, or do do you think that that's because I've been asked? I a couple coworkers asked me this today. They they go, do you think that that's just adrenaline masking the pain and masking like what the injury? We both know that adrenaline can do a lot of things for you. There's players who have played through broken limbs. Ke- Chris, a hockey analogy that you can get in on. Yep. Kevin Bieksa. Kevin Bieksa, defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks, takes a, takes a puck. I remember it was the Stanley Cup playoffs. He goes down to block a shot and takes a like a slap shot to the skate, and it breaks his ankle inside of the skate. And in, he basically told the trainers, don't untie it. Just leave my skate tied and let me play because we need to try to win this game and avoid elimination. Like, adrenaline can get you through a lot of things. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be a problem in the future, right? I would say so, yeah. So with this type of injury, because I saw, I've heard the argument. like, well, he looked fine when he threw it 70 yards. He should be fine if he's day-to-day. What is the detrimental effect of this injury in terms of arm strength, in your professional opinion? In terms of... Just in terms of his ability to drive the football, the way you need to grip a football. Grip and rip. Grip and then turn it loose with a passing motion. Doing it once, yeah, I think that's the reason. I'm sure adrenaline kicked in there. I'm sure he said, hey, I got to win this game. That's why you could do it. Ask him to do that 50 times in the game. I, I don't know that you're going to get the same you know, response or uh, accuracy. I think that... It's just, it's not going to look as pretty. I think that was a one off throw. I think that showed us that the injury was not as severe as the 2018 injury. And I don't expect him to replicate that again and again and again because I think you're going to start seeing excess stress through the elbow. You're going to start seeing inflammation, pain, um, accuracy is going to go down, down, just everything else with that there. So it's like, sure, you can get one good shot off. I think anybody could get that, but try to hit that target again and again and again. I think that's where he loses the accuracy and that's where he struggles. So then when you want to talk about the timetable for recovery and what the recovery looks like, I've heard every uh, just ridiculous piece of thing. Like there's a guy, I don't care if it's punching down Chris, Michael palace. Do you remember him? 
Yep. If, if the name sounds familiar to any of you listening to this podcast, he's the Jets fan who tweeted about how something in football was the equivalent of the January 6th insurrection. Yep. <laughs> and, and the guys at Barstool Sports got a hold of it and... PFT commenter was like... He had to deactivate his account. He goes, this take is burning with the heat of a thousand suns. And he had to deactivate his Twitter account for a month. So he tweeted at a, a bunch of the Cover One guys this morning, which got a chuckle out of me, asking if... You know, well, if you guys play Josh Allen this year, knowing that he's probably going to need surgery and miss another year, do you think it's worth it, or would you rather have him get the surgery now? And they're just like, what the hell are you talking about, you mutant? You don't even know. Do. Like, there's no surgery. It's there, There's nothing. It's just rest and it's rehab. <laughs> so, in turn, so for people who don't understand, because obviously there's a lot of them out there, for this type of injury, if it were me, non-pro athlete Drew Gear, and I were to collect an injury like this, what would be your recommendation for my rehab schedule just so I could get back to my day-to-day? And what you're doing, you're probably looking at two or three months of rehab for you, just knowing that you're going back because you're not going to be getting that rehab constantly. Yes. You're not going to get that around the clock. You're not going to be getting it daily. You're, you're, so you're going to get what two or three times a week. It's going to take some time to build back up. And you're just trying to get back to doing normal things there. Now, if I committed uh, to getting it every day, me and average Joe off the street every day, I'm going to be going to therapy. I'm going to be doing it around the clock. I'm going to be like, I'm focused on getting back to. I don't know. I'm a world. I'm trying to be. I'm. I'm really, really training to be uh, Sylvester Stallone from Over the Top. Man, I'm just. I'm a. I'm a, just a Joe Chuck driver. But I'm gonna go win their wrestling championship. I swear to God. For someone like that, what would you say the non-surgical rehab looks like, just in terms of time frame? Uh, four to six weeks for that, depending on if we think it's a you know, grade two, for example, um, grade three, then you're looking at surgery. There are non-surgical options for that stuff. But then at that point, there's a lot of instability in the elbow. And then you're like, hey, you could rehab the hell out of this, but it might still just not take. So if you got a grade one, grade two, you're still looking at four to six weeks where, hey, I can still go back and do all the stuff I need to do there. So and now if you're pro athlete, Josh Allen, who showed us that. He has this indomitable spirit for the game of football to the point where he's willing to try to hurdle grown human beings. Like, he's willing to try to make five foot nine men. How tall are you, Kyle? Me? I'm 5'8 I'm on a good day. Okay. I'm slightly taller than you. I claim 5'11, but I'm really like 5'10 and a half. He's jumped over people taller than us, full stride, and just kept running like a Clydesdale horse. Like, Knowing that that's how he approaches his job and that's how seriously he takes it and that he's a pro athlete and that he has access to world-class training facilities, world-class rehab facilities, world-class doctors, what the most optimistic outlook if we want – because here's the thing. They could go day-to-day and they could put a brace on him and they could let him go out there and play this Sunday. But having talked to Elf Artiago earlier tonight, our listeners heard the audio. He talked about how he played through this uh, UCL injury, and he played baseball through it, but he was about 50%, 60%. They had to change his position. They basically had to mitigate him throwing the ball just so he could participate. Realistically, for him to get back to having, or at least having the best shot of being the Josh Allen that we know and love every single week, 
How many weeks do you think it would be reasonable to expect him to miss? I'm projecting him to miss three games right now. And that even, I'm thinking if he had rehab every day, that all the resources he has available, probably three to four weeks looking for a mostly full recovery there. But I'm projecting him to miss three games because of the Thanksgiving game, you know, because it's on a short week. So why would you say, hey, you can't play Sunday, but suddenly five days later, we're going to throw you out there and have no time to ramp up and even work into that there. So give them the time off, and then you got three AFC East games, you know, right when it comes back. You as the football fan now, let's let's instead of talking about it from the doctor's perspective, from the fans' perspective, if there was a three-game stand that you think that we could afford to miss a guy like Josh Allen, isn't it? A kind of fraudulent-looking Vikings team that our backup quarterback probably has a bone to pick with anyway. We know Stephon Diggs does. <laughs> and then the the three-win Browns and the one-win Lions. Like, doesn't this doesn't it just almost seem like a no-brainer that this team would probably slow play it through that and just trust yeah. that their roster can win? Yeah, absolutely. I just I don't see. I know those mafia Twitter's nuts. I mean, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> Maybe you're the leader of that, Drew, but um, <laughs> what, what what drives me nuts is everybody, I mean, every, the, the initial fear was, oh my God, season ending. Okay, that's a, that's a realistic fear. Fine. We know it's not now. Like they, They've confirmed that. He hasn't didn't practice today, but we know it's not. They would have announced that. But now you're getting an, okay, how long is he going to be out? How long is he going to be out? Well, he could play through this. He could, he could you know, gut it out there. This thing is not like a light switch. It's not going to like he's going to come back out there and start throwing piss misses all over the place. Like he's going to have to work himself back up to that. It's still tissue. I know that uh, Jamar Chase, they're saying that they gave him a fluid timeline because he may heal faster than others there. Josh Allen might be the same thing. You know, he's an alien and, you know, some people are calling him, but he still still needs time to heal up. And the way he throws, the way he runs, I mean, can you imagine if he went out there on Sunday? And you got Danielle Hunter coming off the edge. He rips Josh Allen's arms off and eats it like a turkey leg. I mean, like, no, like, don't slow play the hell out of this thing. I mean, take it all the way up to the Patriots game if you must. But why why risk against two NFC teams, a crappy AFC team, just to get a few wins? There? I know that one seed's in play there. But, like, listen, if this team is good as it's going to get, or it can be, why – why kill yourself for the one seed? Because you could still lose. We saw that happen with Baltimore. So that happened in Tennessee. We see that happen every year. So if this team is as good as it is, it shouldn't matter what seeding they have. Get out there and win. <laughs> Kyle, I love it. I love you. For, congratulations on the new addition to your family. Thank you. Uh, I, I know you're as a father of two and you're now a father of three. I know what it's like to have that baby in the house. I I just God bless you. God bless you and your patience. The baby, the baby is easy. It's the other two <laughs> that want attention. It's like, okay, do we give one away? How does this work here? So, uh, well, I hope you and mom are both doing well. Why don't you tell everybody where they can follow you on Twitter? What you have coming up on social media? Just give them a rundown of all of it so they can continue following all the Josh Allen madness. All right, so you can follow all my work at bangedupbills.com. You can find me on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, Banged Up Bills. You can find all my content there. I do a weekly in, uh, injury segment with uh, Late Night Buffalo. My weekly spot on Locked on Bills is Joe Marino. 
Um, I'm on a weekly segment with Gridiron Heroics. Um, I'll be making the rounds around the Buffalo content creators this week here, so you can certainly find my work elsewhere. Um, I do work at Buffalo Rumblings. I do videos for Cover One. I'm everywhere and anywhere. And as I speak about that, I don't know how I get that all done, despite not having three kids, married, and just a full-time job. Four guests tonight. Count them. One, two, three, four. So you got to go with the, got to go with a quad. What better choice than to call these four people the evolution of the AFC East? What is the evolution? Tell me it's not a thing. That is a thing. It was a very... I'm Googling a picture of these idiots. I will tell you who they are. It is Randy Orton, Ric Flair, Triple H, and Bautista. Now, you got to go evolution for one reason, because we had Kyle on as a fourth guest tonight, and Kyle is doing what he's doing because he came on with us in, what, 16 to do? Yeah, actually. 2016, 17 to talk about ACLs? To help me with a pet project I was working on where I've basically been trying to point out the fact that ever since the CBA got signed where they reduced practice time, soft tissue injuries increase every year. And so far, it's working. Yeah, and then from that, Kyle... uh, Started doing banged up bills and seems to be like he is the premier injury analyst on Twitter for the bills. So much so that the Buffalo Bills PR account follows him. Well, he's developed some he's developed some genuine inroads inside the building as well, which is plus this is gonna be a thing that you see on TV soon. It's not far from making its way to television. CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, at some point, you're going to end up seeing injury analysts in the booth. You'll have play-by-play, color guy, ref analyst, and then you'll have an injury analyst who will break down injuries. It's coming. I swear, it's coming. So, guys... Tonight's been fun because we really do get a feel. I mean, the thing about Kyle, I mean, that's the news of the week. And also, it's it's just conversating about how the Bills, if the theme of the show is the AFC West, the Bills are the Chiefs of the AFC East, correct? Yeah. The problem is, what would the Chiefs look like if they lost Patrick Mahomes? Do you think that the Chiefs could win Multiple games without Patrick Mahomes? If he was injured right now? Yeah. That's a... uh, What I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to pull up Kansas City's schedule and see what their next four games are. Because you got to look at it. If on Sunday in a tight game that was hilariously 17-17, to the same way the... Tied at 17, the same way the Bills game was, almost went to overtime... Like we almost went over to him, so did they. They played Jacksonville. This is odd. So they played Jacksonville Sunday, and then the Chiefs are at the Chargers, and then the following week, following week host the Rams, and then the Bengals are their next four games. I don't even know who their backup is. Chad Henney. So do you see Chad Henney? Taking the helm of, an, of of the Chiefs' offense, knowing how much that offense means to the overall success of that team, I, I don't know. I think our backup is better than the Chiefs' backup. 
Although you you're out on Case Keenum, you've already said that after the first drive of the preseason game, <laughs> you can't go back on that. No, you're out on Case we've, Keenum. We've Stick talked to about, it. We've talked about this. So realistically, these two teams are like we're at the top. It would be interesting to see if the Chiefs were in our shoes, how they'd fare. I'd argue our roster's stronger. I think it's why we. I think it's why we've won the last two regular season games against them and almost pulled off the playoff win on the road last year. I think we have a stronger roster. Yeah, I, I. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out and if we can continue to maintain that dominance over this division. Because if we uh, lost this week, some wins elsewhere, all of a sudden we're in the basement looking up. Yeah, I mean, I do. If it's going to be three or four games for Allen to miss, I mean. This would be the perfect three, four game stretch to do it. Yeah, I mean, you just wish you could you could have swapped out Minnesota this week and uh, put in the Bears game. Yeah, right. Instead of holding it to Christmas, but Minnesota, Cleveland without their rapist, and then Detroit on Thanksgiving on so a you Thursday. Roll the dice. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I just I love the idea that this division is all of a sudden the best in football. So when you lose two games inside your division, you can look around the NFL and go, yeah, you all lost to them two by way more than five combined points. So kiss my ass. Like, I just feel like there's there's some solace to be taken in that. And in that way, I think there's a very bright future ahead of this division over the next few years. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. This has been fun. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.